Yeah, beautiful song, beautiful songs to enjoy this morning. Well, thanks to, uh, to Cindy for reading through our passage. I know it was a lot to read through. I don't know if you ever feel that way. You're reading through and think, that is a lot. And obviously, we don't get into every detail of every verse, of every of every verb or noun, but my prayer is that we will get the heart and soul of what the Apostle Paul is saying under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, and that you will find it practical and meaningful and helpful in your life. So I'd like to start off by asking you this, have, have your kids ever asked you why? I mean, you'll, you'll tell them something and then they'll say, Why? And, and then you'll think through a, a very exact response, and then they'll follow that up with, why? <laughs> and what you'll find out is that there is no end to the why. <laughs> and you can think, I'm, I'm starting to get frustrated, but you don't want to do that with your kids, because they're, they're why, why? You know, the sun, because the sun's coming up, why? <laughs> and the the more you answer, the more difficult it becomes. <laughs> and I think this is really the way the Scripture is, is, is getting down to the deeper levels of the heart. This is not just a textbook. It's not just a, an intellectual exercise of, of religion, but this is a book to your heart. This is a, a letter of love from God to you. And it goes to the deepest levels. So what I'm going to share in introducing this passage is, is, is meaningful to me. You've heard me share this or parts of this before. Um, my story, we all have a story. I, I, I tell you that your story is one of the most blessed gifts God gives to you because people can connect with various parts of it. But this is part of my story, and there is a verse in this text that just arrested me and has is more profoundly affected my life than any other verse in Scripture. Do you know what verse it is? Okay, that's a good one. That's a good one. Anybody else? Who said that? Okay, you better you around me too long. <laughs> Kim Hurst said that this is what it is. Corinthians ten thirty one. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, it's this last part, do everything for the glory of God. read this, I was 18. That's more than a decade, a decade ago. <laughs> I had just finished high school. I was heading off to college. And I was a believer. I, a young boy, my mother shared the gospel with me. I was convicted of my sin. I, I put my faith and trust in Jesus as my Savior. So that I knew that. I, I've never really doubted that that took place in my life. So this isn't a salvation story, but this is a life-changing story. So the last semester of high school, I met a college student who 
encouraged me to start reading my Bible every day. You ever hear that around here? <laughs> be in the Word, be in the Word. The Word will change your life. And because he was so persistent in asking me this, I started reading it just so I could get him off my back. So this was probably April or May that I just thumbed through the Bible, picked Romans, and started reading uh, scripture uh, letter. So I'm, I'm reading through Romans, and um, nothing impactful is happening except I'm working at camp that summer. I'm, I'm up at, uh, is everything okay with the sound? We're not, um, go, okay, get us another mic. Okay, go on, okay. But, uh, so, so I... I'm working at camp in the summer. I've done this for seven consecutive summers. And I would say that my, my Christian life was at best mediocre. It was mediocre. I, was, I acknowledged Christ as my Savior. I believed the Bible. I would say yes to everything you would say to me. But there was not a life-changing work going on. And so every night, uh, campers would go to bed. I was uh, kind of a an assistant counselor, I'd go out on the front porch, I'd lean my chair back under the light, I'd open up my Bible, and I'd read the next chapter. So I'd read one chapter each evening. And so I went all the way through Romans, I started in, the next one was 1 Corinthians. And this night, I read 1 Corinthians 10, I just read the chapter, and I came to verse 31. It's like the Holy Spirit started working in my life in a way that he'd never done. He, he, you got another mic here. Okay, we're good. Is that, everybody hear me? And so I'm, I'm reading this verse and I realize that things are not right in my life. And it really troubles me. It really troubles me because what this verse is saying to me is, Matt Olson, everything you do, whether you're eating or you're drinking or whatever you do in your life, you do for God's glory. And I thought, that is not true about my life. I know I'm a Christian. I know I put my faith and trust in Christ, but that I have not done. And so this text, I want us to look at you know, what Paul is dealing with, a lot of times we, and with our kids, we'll deal with behavior. But he's going at a deeper level here, and he's peeling back the surface issues to examine motive. What drives me? So to answer these questions, why, um, why, why do you exist? Why are you here? Why do you do what you do? What, what is the motivating force for your life? Those are big, big questions. They're deep questions. So we're going to look at these verses. And the central one, of course, is 1031. But I want us to look at what he says as far as a confrontation, because I think this verse really confronted me. And it's meant to do so. He said, everything you do should glorify God. It should please God. It should honor God. That's the ultimate test, isn't it? Everything you do, whether eating or drinking, 
should be honoring to God. So when it's not, that's confronting. Secondly, there's a challenge. Here's what he wants us to do. He wants us to set as the new standard for the way we live. Is God pleased? Is God honored? Is God exalted in my heart, my thoughts, and my attitude? And finally, I think a scripture will always leave us with a choice. (laughs) Am I going to obey this or not? And that puts you in a tough spot. You think, am I, am I going to follow what has just been presented to me or not? So let's look at this. First of all, glorify God. This is a challenge to glorify God as a confrontation. So look at verse 14, and we're going to go back to the first verse that was read. It says, so then, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. Now, I don't know about you. When I read a verse like that, I think, next verse, because that does not apply to me. You ever do that? <laughs> it doesn't apply to me. I don't have any idols around my house. And so I just kind of skip on to the next thing. You find something about Scripture, all of it has relevance. All of it has a point that, it, that is move, moving toward our lives. And so to, for me to say it doesn't apply to me is to, to really miss what God is trying to do. What is idolatry? Idolatry is what we worship, what we ascribe worth to. If you go back to the Ten Commandments, it it, it says, the first one says, you shall have no other gods before me. So worship is what I, I ascribe worth to or value to or what I set up as most important in my life. The most important thing in your life is what you worship. We say, well, okay, well, that's that's God. <laughs> and I think on paper, that all that sounds good. If someone asked me, Matt, what's the most important thing in your life? I'd say God. <laughs> what is truth? I'd say the Bible. But my life did not match that. It really didn't. And so that's why I say this is a very confronting verse when, when I'm called to, to glorify God in everything. So the evidence of my life is going to be played out on how I think, how I behave, how I act, how I talk, how I spend my time, how I spend my money. Those are the revealers. What do you talk about all the time? What do you think about all the time? Where do you spend your money? What do you value most? Now, there's, there's text, there's context. This was written 2,000 years ago, almost 2,000 years ago. In a Greek culture that had idols, and they had gods. You've heard about the Greek gods. We, we will remember Zeus and Poseidon, Ares, Athena, Aphrodite, Apollo, multiple gods. In fact, really, you're safer if you have a lot of gods. They got everything covered. <laughs> That's the way people thought. In fact, today, many parts of the world, people will have thousands of gods. You have a god for everything. And so you can physically make a God, create a God, have a God, put a God in your home. And every one of these gods will serve some function for your benefit. In other words, you create the God to benefit your life, which is just the opposite of the way it should be. 
See, God created you to glorify him. And the only way you'll ever find fulfillment is when you worship your creator. And the more you create other gods to satisfy your pleasures, desires, interests, and desires, the more miserable you're going to become. This was the experience I was having in my life. I, I had really chosen, I'm going to live the way I want to live. I want to do what I want to do. I'm a Christian. I love God. I go to church. I'm reading my Bible. But basically, I want to live my life the way I want to live my life. That's the way most people are. And I feel that's the best chance for me to be happy. Wrong. <laughs> it's the best chance for you to be miserable when you do that. And so idolatry in, in our American culture, we may not have the, the physical gods that we create that we set up in our homes, or you go to some places in, in India where you have you know, 3,000, they say sometimes 3 million gods, <clears throat> a god for everything. But in this American culture, we have our gods, don't we? You stop and, and think about the world that we live today of money, fame, success, security, popularity, sex, food, drink, drugs, accomplishments, the American dream. In fact, what, what has really become a problem is, is we have mixed all of these things with Christianity. Around the world, we call this syncretism. Syncretism is you have your Christianity, but you mix it up with the American dream or American politics or all the things that I like. You go into some of these foreign countries or these islands where Reed and Heather were, and you have all the superstitions of the gods and the idols, and they will embrace your Christianity. They'll just mix it up with everything else. And so Jesus becomes one of those gods. God becomes one of those gods. But I also have the God of pleasure, the God of sex, the God of my fame, my fortune, the God of my money, the God of my security. And they're all mixed together. But at the end of the day, the God that you really worship is yourself. And that's what I, I was coming to this realization. Now, I had already skipped over verse 14 because I don't have any idols in my life. But once I started to examine verse 31, I realized this, that I was an idolater. I was an idolater. I worshipped myself. I worshipped what I wanted. Now, I could have said, well, I worship sports or I worship money or success, whatever. But at the end of the day, it is self-worship. That's at the core of this, self-worship. Now, it's possible to be a born-again Christian today, to go to a good church every Sunday, to read your Bible every day, and be an idolater. And that's what I was. Because I think, I think there is something about this rebuke, and God does us in love. It's like you go to a doctor, you don't want to hear bad news, right? <laughs> but you, you want to hear some hope, but part of you getting well is hearing what's wrong. And God, because he loves us so much and he desires for us to be fulfilled and happy and content in his purpose for our lives, that's really what God wants. God wants your best. There is no one who wants your best more than God. And we know that. He said that and he's demonstrated it 
all through history. However, I still have this pull. If, if I choose what I want to do, go where I want to go, eat what I want to eat, drink what I want to drink, I'll be the happiest. And that's why there are so many miserable Christians today like I was at that time too, if you're trying to have it both ways. Remember what Jesus said, no one can serve two masters? You can't do that. So anything in your life that you put above worship of God could be a person, could be a thing, could be a career, could be an ambition, could be some pleasure. But anything that you value more than God is an idol. So in this passage of Scripture, and this is why one of the reasons we're having communion today, is he talks about the table of communion, verses 16 to 21. And I think it's really interesting how this, this whole passage, if you, if you look at verse 16, it says, Consider the people of Israel. Do not those who eat the sacrifices participate in the altar. Um, back well, Verse 16, it, it says, Are we not sharing in the body of Christ with a cup? So we, we talk about valley community. Community is another word for church or, or fellowship. And when Jesus instituted the Lord's table or communion, the Eucharist, it was seated at a table, and they had fellowship. In other words, they had commonality. And what was the common commonality? It was Christ. He says, this is my blood. Well, it's not literally his blood. Some people say, well, is, that, is it a hocus pocus? They turn it into his little blood. No, he, he's speaking figuratively here, but he's saying, this is my blood. This is my body, the bread. And this is representative of what is our common bond, our common fellowship. And so when we sit at this table and share in this meal, we remember him until he comes again. And this helps us to realize that it's not just an acknowledgement of what Christ has done for us by dying on the cross, rising from the dead, and giving eternal life, but it's also a, a resolve to encourage one another in our commitment. Christ is central. This is why we meet. This is what we fellowship about. Now, as you go on uh, through this passage, he talks about in verse 21, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. What is he talking about? They had many feasts. They'd have many tables where people would gather together to eat. And they're, they're celebrating demons. So the fellowship is not Christ. The fellowship is these idols. Now, we know that these idols are not gods. <laughs> we know that that food or drink does nothing to me. That's why he was saying here that you can eat and drink. It's, it's, not, it's not affecting you in that way. But if it's, it's causing a problem for a person's conscience, then you need to refrain from this. Because, and, and think through, what are you communicating by the way you live? And we could dive into more detail on that, but, but as he says, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. So I can eat this or drink this. It's not, I'm not worshiping that, but someone believes I am worshiping that. I need to make that clear. And I think it's, it's, it's a bit of a, a fine line we walk in this world. Jesus hung around sinners. You know, it made all the religious people very uncomfortable. <laughs> it's kind of amusing. Who's Jesus hanging around? All the prostitutes, the beggars, the, the, the demon-possessed people. And Jesus loves to hang around the sinners. 
but he never corrupted his own life in doing so. Someone described it this way, is that, that you can have all the water in the world won't sink the, sh- the ship unless it gets inside. And in John 17, Jesus described his approach to this. He's in the world, but the world is not in him. And that's the way the Christian lives. We, we live with, with pollution all around us, but not in us. So it's good to have friends that are unbelievers. It's good to be able to spend time with them. But what he's saying is don't compromise what you worship. They need to understand what you worship. And you can't have it both ways. You can't, you can't be worshiping self or pleasure, or these things, and also be coming together and worshiping God as believers do on Sunday. And that's, that's, that's what was happening then. I think it's what's happening today. If you look at the, the 20th, 21st century church, and it's been this way for quite a while, that we, we want to have our cake and eat it too. We want to have, you know, Christianity and love God and go to church and worship, but we want to have the American dream we want, we want to, to live for pleasure, and you, you, you see this everywhere, and it is, it is pulling us down. The American church will, will sell it to us both ways, and I call it a prosperity gospel. You'll see this a lot, is um, if you come to our church, we got the best music, the best speaker, the best activities. It's all about you. When we come to worship, it's all about him. And when we get that part right, it completes our lives in fulfilling what, what no one else can fulfill. So when I, when I think of this, he confronts us with these things that are displeasing to him and are destructing, destructive to ourselves. But secondly, let's look at the challenge. And this is really the verse that um, he, gives, he gives to us. Glorify God. It's a challenge. Glorify God. What is God's glory? When you think of that, what is God's glory? If if we could sum up all of his attributes, all that he is, we would say his glory. His holiness, his majesty, his power, his love, everything. If you were to take all that God is and sum it up into one word, you say it is glory. God is glorious. And the scriptures tell us that. But let's, let's look at the different ways it's expressed. And I, and I think this is, to me, magnificent. How does God express his glory to us? Because this is where it begins. First of all, in creation. In Psalm 19, it says, the heavens declare the glory of God. So just by looking around at everything that God has created, it declares his glory. His works declare his glory. The things that God does in answers to prayer and working in ways around us, he declares his glory. His word is glorious because everything he gives us is truth. He also expresses his glory in the face of Jesus Christ. This is how Paul describes it. He says the God shows us his glory in the person of Jesus. So what does God's glory look like? It looks like Jesus. This is, this is the living, breathing example of it. And finally, God shows us his glory in the lives of his followers. 
Isn't that amazing? He shows us his glory in your life. Now, I'm thinking, this is what is starting to really get convicting for me is because I don't think that's what I represent. I don't think that's what I show. God is glorious. So we begin with this. God, in all that he is, in all the ways that he's expressed it, through creation, through his word, through his works, through the face of Christ and through the lives that follow him, is glorious. You know how often I, I come back to this, your view of God, the most important thing about you, as A.W. Tozer said, the most important thing about you is your view of God. How do you view God? Because everything flows out of your view of God. God is glorious. And when we glorify God, we acknowledge that in everything of our lives. So he is glorious. The way I glorify him is when I respond to him. Is one of our um, quotes that we've used often is that when all that I am, when all that I am responds rightly to all that he is. When all that I am responds rightly to all that he is. So God is glorious. Now what does this look like? In a practical sense, if God is holy, be holy. Now you're not going to be perfectly holy like God, but that, that if God is holy... I'm to be holy. If God is pure, be pure. If God is blameless, be blameless. If God is true, be true. If God is righteous, just, fair, and honest, that's what you should be. And if God is loving and God is kind and merciful and generous and faithful and patient, that is how I should be. The way that you and I glorify God is we reflect back his glory by response of saying, yes, I believe that, I follow that. And this comes back to the whole concept of following him. You can see why when I'm reading this as an 18-year-old, and I don't know when it comes to in your life, it could be younger than that or a lot older than I've seen that all through your life, is you realize this, that I'm living my life for myself. And my Christianity is more of a nod to God. My Christianity is more of just acknowledging a set of doctrines that I believe that I'm going to go to heaven, but I'm not living this way in everything I do to glorify him. In other words, glorious, right response to his glory. It's a new standard for our living. And I can tell you this, that when I got done, I got, I got finished reading this verse. I could hardly even finish the chapter because it goes on down to the end of, end of the chapter. And I'd love to tell you that that night, I said, oh, Lord, I never saw this before. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to change the way I live. I didn't. I closed my Bible, and I went to bed. And I was really bothered. Now, you say, I like to read my, my Bible and be blessed. <laughs> I don't like to be bothered. And that's probably the way I would tell you I like to read my Bible too. I like to read my Bible and just be blessed. But I was bothered because my life did not match up to what God was asking me to do. And that's what brings me to this last point. Glorify God as a choice. I realized that that night that God was calling me to decision. He's asking me to do something. And there was a war 
that was going on now that I didn't even know anything about. And here's the, here's the thing. I've got to do something about it. Either I've got to just move on or I've got, I've got to accept this and respond affirming to glorify God. And so, noble me, I tried to move on. <laughs> um, I wish I could say I did better than that, but I didn't. The next night, I thought, well, I'm back to Christian just duty. You know what? Read your, read your Bible every day. I feel spiritual. Amen? I'm reading, now, reading your Bible is good every day, but I'm thinking, if I just get to the next chapter, I'll be fine. <laughs> and forget about chapter 10. So I get to chapter 11. And I thought, I'm going to read this chapter tonight and get blessed. So look at chapter 11, verse 1. It says, imitate me as I also imitate Christ. You know what he's really saying there? The word is mimic. Mimic me. Or we would use the term follow me. And it's like, here we go again. <laughs> it's like I cannot escape 1031 because 11, 1, the apostle Paul is saying, follow me as I follow Christ. It is the only way to live. And, and the problem is, is, is the, we don't have that kind of Christianity today. You, you say, well, why not? Because it's hard. It's just like your kids. I want to do what I want to do. I, I want to follow the dreams that I have. I, I think I know what's best for my life. I want to make those choices. And when I get into trouble, I'll talk to God about it. I'll read my Bible, I'll go to church, I'll say my prayers, but he's asking me in everything I do to glorify him. Your job, your work, mowing the grass, eating your food, what everything, everything. You live for his pleasure. And I tell you this, that for me, um, this this point, the second night, I'm up there reading this. I sat there for a long time wrestling with it because I knew the course of my life. And I knew what he was asking me to do. I know there was a choice. I was going to make a choice. Either I'm going to keep living the way I'm living, and I was miserable. I was a very miserable person. Or I was going to surrender my will to his will. And say, Lord, from this point on, I want to please you in everything that I do. And so I closed my Bible that night, went in, and I didn't do this. I can't even remember the last time I did this. But I, I knelt down by my bunk bed. And I just prayed a very simple prayer. I said, Lord, as best as I can do this, I surrender my life to glorify you in everything that I do. Now, <clears throat> there had to be a death before there was a life. A death to Matt Olson running the show and life to Christ leading. It's a hard thing to die, but it was necessary to come alive. And I can tell you this in my, my own personal experience, that that next morning when I got up, I mean, it wasn't like... You could visibly see everything different, but I saw everything different. I saw everything different. And God began every night 
to be changing my life through his word. I go to chapter 12, and I'm thinking, I'm looking for things that I can obey. And I'm responding in obedience. And a lot of times, yes, still saying, ouch, <laughs> I've got to make some changes. And, and God began to change my life. He gave me peace. He gave me joy. He gave me the thrill of reading. He gave me the excitement of sharing the good news with other people. And you know what? People started asking me what I was so happy about. What are you so happy about? Well, I don't know. <laughs> I wasn't that way before. You know, people that do what they want to do are miserable. <laughs> but you can't convince them of that. It didn't make life easier. You still have the same sicknesses, the same diseases, the same weather, the same stuff that goes on in life. But when you realize that God created you for his glory, and when you acknowledge that glory and glorify him, it brings to you the greatest sense of peace and of fulfillment, of joy that you could ever have. And this is really what the Apostle Paul is saying to this church. The theme of this entire letter is walk in wisdom. Well, how do you do that? You've got to come to the place where you submit to everything. And that's why it's not just being in the word. It's obeying everything he calls you to do. And I can tell you this, that many years after I was 18, it's still hard for me to obey the things that God points out in my life. But I know that when I do, it leads to lasting peace and joy. So there you have it. Very simply, the greatest verse in all the Bible, my opinion. <laughs> if I ask you this, you'll know. It is, begins as a confrontation. Matt, you're an idolater. You're a self-worshipper. He moves to the challenge. I want you now to glorify me in everything you do. In everything you do. And the choice, I'll follow him. So when Jesus came by the seashore and he said, follow me, there's a choice. You know, I, I feel like I wish I could jump in and say, choose the right thing, choose the right thing. I can tell you by personal testimony, but, but my, my prayer is this, that our lives become so attractive that people want to follow too. Just, just like he says here, follow me or imitate me as I imitate Christ. You're going to find that same purpose and fulfillment and joy in your life. You know, for me, it's 1 Corinthians 10.31. It may be John 3.16 for you, another verse, but there will be verses like that that will call you to a response of following Christ. So I know it sounds a little bit scary, like, what's he going to do? What's, he gonna, what's God going to do? If I, if I say, Lord, okay, you take the wheel, <laughs> what's he going to do? God is incapable of doing evil. All he can do is good. All he will do will glorify his name and benefit you. Can you trust him with that? I believe you can. Let's bow together as we pray. Father, as we, we think through the, the, the struggles of this church, the church in Corinth, the same is what we have today. Basically, we're idolaters. We're self-worshippers. We worship all the stuff in the world. 
And we're miserable when we do that. And I pray that whether a mom or a dad, a worker, employer, athlete, shop owner, whatever we do, whatever we eat, whatever we drink, we would all do for your pleasure, for your glory. Lord, thank you for the hard sayings. Thank you for what you call us to do and to be. And I pray that as we fellowship around your table this morning, that we'd realize that the greatest fellowship we have is in Christ. The greatest calling we have is in Christ. And I pray that you would bless that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we have um, with us today a, uh, the wine and the bread, which represent the body and blood of Christ, and we have it in the back. If you need some help, Paul can help you too and, and grab this. Um, part of the way the church would meet regularly was around a table. They'd have a meal, and they would transition right into this, um, from the meal right into the Lord's table. And I believe this, this, this is what we do out of obedience to the Lord to remember him until he comes. There's nothing supernatural, magical about it, but, it, but in a sense it represents what is supernatural <laughs> of Christ. And so the bread represents his body, which is broken for us, given for us as a substitute. The blood, it represents, uh, the, the, the wine represents the blood which was shed for us for the remission of our sins. And I think, though, for us as believers, this is part, this is part of our worship. This is part of our acknowledgement. That's why he says when you come to this table, don't come carelessly, but be thinking this through. So first of all, he took the bread to his disciples and he broke it and he said this is my body which is broken for you this do in remembrance of me and then Jesus took the cup he represented the blood that he would shed on the cross for the remission of our sins and he said this is this blood is the new testament it is the message. It is what washes away your sins. And he said, drink all of it. You know, it is a, a sobering thing. These, these people went from having a meal, and before they dismissed, before they left, they remembered him his body, and his blood. Many of these people lost their lives, were martyrs. Being a Christian and following Christ is not an easier life. You've heard me say that many times. It is not an easier life. It is a better life. It is a good life. But following Jesus, you are in conflict with everything in this world that stands in opposition. That's why we need each other. That's why we meet together. That's why we gather together on Sundays to encourage one another. And we all need it, don't we? 
We all need that encouragement because to live a life that, you say this on my job, in my home, in my marriage, with my family, playing sports, I will please God in everything that I do. That's your standard. <laughs> now, who here will meet up perfectly with that this week? <laughs> None of us. But we still pursue that, don't we? That is my desire, my aim. It's one of the first prayers I pray in the morning. I start my walk. I'll say, Lord, help me. Help me to be what you created me to be. Help me to glorify you in everything I say and think and do. Every place I go, every word I speak, every thought I have, every action I take, help me, God, to be pleasing to you. I don't finish every day with a perfect record, but I start every day with that aim. And that's what we all can do, and we encourage each other in that way. Paul.